0: And welcome to episode two of ED's Sustainable Business Covered podcast. In this episode, we talk monkey dating with The Body Shop's Director of Corporate Responsibility, Chris Davis.
1: By building a boat, you're getting them together. You're, You're, you know... They're getting it on, I I suppose some people would say.
0: We'll go behind the scenes at our own Sustainability Communications Conference with some wonderful insights from industry experts on engagement and behaviour change.
2: When we're talking to the consumer, generally speaking, we are talking to either a consumer who is ill-informed, who doesn't care, doesn't have the time, and therefore... It potentially does fall on deaf ears.
0: And ED reporters Matt Mace and George Ogilby will be on hand to analyse the week's big news stories and innovations. So yes, hello and welcome along to this second episode of Sustainable Business Covered. We've had a great reception from that first episode, lots of downloads, lots of nice comments, Which and that one was all about ED Live. Based on the number of people that have downloaded that first episode, we seem to have built up quite a good following already from sustainability professionals, energy managers resource efficiency experts, few consultants in there, a few academics, so it's good to see so many people interested in the, the big debates and trends within the world of green business. And it is important to stress that this podcast is all about you, our ED readers, so please do give us some feedback on it, positive or negative, but ideally positive. Uh, perhaps you have some thoughts about the interviews in the show or some ideas for potential topics, themes or interviewees for future podcasts. If you do, email us uh, new podcast account, which is podcast at fav fav-house.com so i've just literally rushed back into our offices from a very interesting interview actually with a a global sustainability director of one of the world's biggest fmcg companies an interview that's not in this podcast episode but i'll reveal a little bit more about that later on and i'm joined as ever here in this room by our very own matt how are you doing Matt?
3: i'm very well thank you tired from yesterday's conferencing I I'm recovered. I was very tired, um, but Sascoms as I'm calling it because the the long version of it, as you'll find out, does not do me any favours. Um, was a very, very in-depth event and I brought home a lot
0: from it. Yeah, so you went, went behind the scenes there. Who did you speak to for for the podcast?
3: I spoke to four people. I spoke to um, Caroline Hill from Land Securities. Yep. had a great little uh, chat to her about what they're doing in Oxford. Mm-hmm. I spoke to Eileen Donnelly, um, who has now just joined the Co-operative Bank. Um, she couldn't tell me too much about what's going on there.
0: From PZ Cousins, she. Yes, yeah that's yeah. where she
3: was last time yeah. last time we met, she was at PZ Cousins but mm-hmm. now now Ventures New in mm-hmm. the Coptic Bank. Um I spoke to Esther Morn glocklin um <laughs> from Forum for the Future. She, she was cha- she was chairing, chairing yeah. yeah. Um she she's probably more tired than me today. She she had to get through a, a lot of questions a lot of speakers. <laughs> And then finally, um, Caroline Rooter from JSK. GSK. GSK.
0: JSK, as you say in the interview. Uh, but uh, yeah, GSK. Um, so quite a selection then. Um, and sat next to Matt is George uh, Jogelby. How's things, George? Yeah,
4: I'm very good. <laughs>
0: good. Uh, so you've been our news for the week. Um okay. You're out at an event tonight, that's right? I am, an
4: event to do with the circular economy should be interesting, I think we've got some good speakers
0: Specifically
4: construction industry, construction industry. which follows on quite nicely from
0: last week's episode of this podcast. So uh, a busy week for all of us, um, based on all of those happenings this week, uh, the theme of this podcast, you've guessed it, is sustainability communications. Right, so where should we start? Let's do this chronologically. Let's start with a listen back to Monday, uh, when I took a short trip up to London to have a chat with The Body Shop. You may remember that The Body Shop recently launched that really ambitious new set of CSR targets under a new commitment called Enrich Not Exploit. And under that commitment, the retailers stated it wants to become, I think I'm quoting here, the world's most ethical and truly sustainable global business. Now, uh, that's a pretty big target. Um... So I caught up with the Body Shop's director of CSR and campaigns, Chris Davis, whose Twitter handle is um, Activist Chris, which itself gives you a little insight into his um, ambitions for the brand. So you may have seen earlier in the week that we ran a story on the Body Shop's new Bio Bridges program, uh, which is where this idea of monkey dating comes from. So Chris and I have a chat about that and also about how The Body Shop is communicating sustainability throughout the organisation and through to its customers, um, which will take us nicely on to the communications conference later on. So have a listen to my chat with Chris Davis from The Body Shop. So I'm sat here in a nice, uh, quiet basement uh, of a bar in uh, King's Cross in London. It's nice and quiet down here. And sat with me is Chris Davis. Uh, International Director of Corporate Social Responsibility at The Body Shop. Hi Chris, how are you? Morning, all right. Yeah, very well, thanks. Good. Uh, so we're here, um, I was invited here for a Bio Bridges briefing, which all sounds very intriguing, but uh, at risk of alienating some of the listeners of this podcast from early on, perhaps it's best to rewind a little bit and have a quick chat about the body shop's ambitious new CSR strategy, uh, which it launched back in February, was it? I think? Indeed, yeah, in February. So it's all under that very fritting project name of enrich, not exploit, and it's essentially a set of 14 specific, measurable CSR targets for 2020. We've covered it online. The story went out, I think, back in February when it was announced. But Chris, perhaps you could begin by just explaining why the time was right to launch such a wide-ranging, ambitious. CSR strategy?
1: Yeah, so I, I, I think that everybody when they get to 40 starts to rethink something about their lives and what's going on I certainly did a few years ago uh, and that's kind of what we did at the Body Shop so the Body Shop's 40th birthday is this year um, and one of the things that we did to prepare for it was kind of go, uh, have a look back at our performance, how we've we done as a company. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, we're really proud at The Body Shop. We, we, we are seen as the pioneers of corporate social responsibility. Anita Roddick, the founder of the business, is, is, is known as the godmother, I suppose, of green business. So we have quite, you know, an, an, an impressive heritage. Um, but we want to know whether or not we should be doing more. So we went back to school, we talked to a lot of smart scientists, a lot of academics, people at the the EDEN project who were wonderful, people at Cambridge University, at Brighton University, and we came back knowing that actually to be the company that we want to be, we have to do things a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. So we set ourselves the goal of being the world's most ethical and truly sustainable global business. And this is what we announced in in, in February. How do we do that? We're working with an organisation called the Future Fit Foundation, who have got a new benchmark, which is informed by the best science, the best academics. And their guide is basically saying to us, don't just be, as a a, a CSR company, don't just be a little bit less bad, be truly sustainable. Have only a positive impact on the environment, have only a positive impact on society. So that's the aim we went out with uh, a few months ago. And the first steps of fulfilling that aim are our new commitment in which not exploit, which, as I said, Luke, it has got the 14 uh, measurable, tangible hmm. goals uh, that we're going to reach over the next uh, four years. Okay. And
0: so those 14 CSR targets fall under the uh, three pillars of enrich our people, enrich our products, and enrich our planet. Mm. Obviously, we can't discuss them all in depth here, but thought I'd get a little update on a couple of the areas. First of all, within uh, Enrich Our Products, there's that aim to ensure 100% of all natural ingredients are traceable and sustainably sourced. Obviously, that's not an easy target, a very complex landscape. What's going to be key to achieving that aim, do you think, working with suppliers and collaborating?
1: Yeah, no, you're right, it's not not an easy target, Um, especially uh, when we have set ourselves... um, a higher, higher level of sustainability and traceability than we had previously so we've developed a sustainable sourcing charter uh, with input from uh, across the business and, and, and a number of NGOs which is essentially saying okay for the body shop here is a standard that we are going to reach for all our naturals. Uh, where are we at the moment? We have assessed all of our portfolio and we are making some really good progress so we, we, I would say we're about 40% of the way uh, within that target uh, and, and, and hitting that new level uh, that we've stated that we want to hit. So it's going it's going well. It's, it's a lot of work. But I think one of the great things about the Body Shop is we have got a sustainable sourcing team who have a huge amount of experience mm. have worked in this area for many years uh, and, 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 of course, are dedicated to driving this forward. And I think once you have the people who, who love what they're doing and are passionate about reaching these targets, you're halfway there.
0: Yeah. Interesting. So when you then sell these products that have um, sustained they're sustainably sourced they're fully traceable um, obviously you can label them as such is that uh, an additional benefit for the body shop as well as in does is sustainability sort of selling for the company
1: I think yeah it's interesting isn't it the the conversations we have with our customers and we talk to them a lot not just to hear where we are today in the UK but across 65 countries and they're telling us that when they shop at the body shop they shop with us because they care about how we do business Mm. Uh, they care about our community trade approach they care about our approach to sustainability and corporate social responsibility so we know it's really important for them but as as, as you and I know people are not going to buy stuff just because it's, it's doing good it has to perform as well and I think within the body shop because Let's take our sourcing program. Because our sourcing program works directly with suppliers, uh, it sources the highest quality ingredients. Because we use the highest quality ingredients, that is also going to ensure that our product performance is high. So, in that approach, as well as it being sustainable, it's also driving the the product so the consumer gets something better as well. And that's really where I think the sweet spot exists between ethics and, 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 and business. If you can provide something that is both good, and performs well. Then you're going to start. You know, you're going to start flying, and that's how the body shops run its business for years. And how, under the new commitment, I think we're taking a step even further, mm. uh, making better things, making them better.
0: Very interesting. And um, and then I'm just looking at the uh, under the the pillar of protect our planet. Uh, you've got that aim of reducing the energy use of stores by ten percent every year, which is a nice bold commitment. What's going to be key to achieving that one? I mean, is it going to be a, going to be a case of looking at LEDs? Has that kind of low-hanging
1: fruit been already picked in most stores? Mm. In most stores, and fortunately or unfortunately, depending <laughs> on how you look at it, yeah, it has. Um, so that's a yes. Yeah, so 10% reduction is the target for the first year, mm-hmm. and we set that. It was, it's the only one of the targets that has got uh, that is that is just this year. We set it because we didn't know how far we could go. Uh, we set it to test our businesses around the world of course the 65 countries to see whether or not this was achievable um, as you say you know our, our stores are pretty efficient we use, we use good lighting we use good heating yeah. or, or, or air conditioning that 10% so far our experience has come from that 10% is coming from the change in behaviour of our managers and our retail staff so I was in India I just got back from India um, last week And in the first quarter of this year, they have saved 13% of energy across their store estate, about 140 stores, by introducing a cultural shift, is how they describe it. So talking to staff about switching off, uh, only switching on when you need to, ensuring that the back office, from a retail store perspective, is is well managed. So there's little little things like that, little changes, can save an awful lot uh, of energy. So... Yeah, I mean, it's 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 going where we need it to go. I think what will be interesting is where where do we go in twenty seventeen with mm-hmm. this target? Do we go for another ten percent in a year, mm-hmm. or do we look at something a bit different, a bit bigger? Sure. We shall see.
0: Very interesting. Um, and now we get to the goal of building bio bridges. So uh, I hear this is being launched officially tomorrow. Yeah, But for listeners of this podcast, then, um, what are bio bridges, and and
1: how are they kind of environmentally beneficial? How do they fit into this program? Okay, so um, Biobridge, if, um, if you imagine a beautiful rainforest, as of course there are many around the world, hmm. and then you imagine, as uh, sadly happens, a, a chunk of that rainforest, like down the middle, is destroyed. Now that may be destroyed through agricultural use, through slash-and-burn farming, from resource uh, exploration. There's a number of reasons why, but effectively you are, you are destroying um, biodiversity and you are cutting off, right for the centre of the forest, uh, links between one rich area of rainforest to another. Mm. By cutting it off, as well as destroying the, the, the diversity, you are also really challenging the gene pool. So animals living on one side can't move across to the other. Right. So by building what we call a bio-bridge, uh, by planting, by potentially regenerating or restoring uh, forest to link these two areas up, you are allowing animals to pass, you are allowing the gene pool to be enriched, and you are ensuring the preservation of the species. So that is what we call biopause. Interesting. How did that come about then?
0: I mean, is this a collaborative project?
1: Yeah, it is. It's a it's a collaboration with the World Land Trust, right, okay. um, who as many of us are familiar with. They're a great NGO who work um, across the world on some really innovative conservation programmes. And I think the 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 idea of biobridges or or land corridors has been well researched by academics over the last 10 years and they're proven to work. They're proven to enhance biodiversity and enhance the gene pool. Mm. So we're very confident that that's going to be a really positive solution. But the key thing for us with biobridges is how do we engage the customer. So to engage the customer um, from tomorrow in body shop stores across the world, every time you buy anything at at the body shop, we will plant or protect or regenerate one square meter of biobridge. Wow. So and that's, that's, so that's starting on Tuesday. That's starting on Tuesday, okay. yeah. Um, and the, the, it's in the guise of, uh, I don't know what you'll make of this, Luke, but it, it's in the guise of monkey dating. Okay. So what we we, what this is an idea, it's interesting, because we were talking about this uh, biobridge concept and thinking how, but, you know, what, what does it really mean to customers mm. and out of a discussion somebody basically said well it's look like, it's like monkey dating it's like a monkey dating service you're building a link between two areas of forest where monkeys are living so by building a by you're getting them together mm. you're, you're, you're you're you know they're getting it. they're getting it on I, yeah. I, I suppose some <laughs> people would say and so that's that in terms of getting the consumer involved that's the stance that we're taking um yeah, that's oh, fascinating. That's what's going on. Vivid image, yeah. really.
0: Um Yes. <laughs> perfect. So um I mean reflecting on that uh that long list of CSR commitments then, I mean, um that one in itself, this may be the answer. Bybridge may be the answer to this, but I was gonna ask what is the most sort of challenging one for you on that list? What's gonna take up the majority of your time?
1: I think you know the the, the Bybridge one is, is is pretty challenging in terms of setting up the project So the first one's in Vietnam. Um, it's in, it's, it's in the north, of the country, mm-hmm. um, it's in an area that has got more than a thousand plant species, more than 350 uh, animal species, so it's, 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 a, it's a key area for uh, protection, it's not protected, um, and by building the bio bridge uh, it will restore forests which may have been destroyed from farming or for even Agent Orange, you know, going back to the... To the war times, wow. uh, Agent Orange is still polluting those areas. So, so by by rebuilding uh, and regenerating, you are you are know, basically going to bring back life to what the locals call at the moment the silent forest. Mm. It's silent because you know, the, 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 the biodiversity is, is is collapsing. So that's pretty challenging to do. It. But I think the there are two other projects linked to bio bridges that we're working on. Uh, one is we're looking at sourcing new cosmetic ingredients from these rich biodiversity areas. Right. So as well as building biobridges, we want to source our ingredients there too. By sourcing the ingredients, of course, of course, you are increasing uh, the sustainability of the area sure. because you are giving more value uh, to, to the forest. So that's one part. And also, the other element of biobridges is, is that we're building our own offset program in there so our carbon offset program so if we we have to use fossil fuels where there's no renewable energy available which we know is is, is challenging some parts of the world we will also uh, use biobridges and build offsets the company, so there's a, it's a kind of virtuous circle, I suppose, in, 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 in many ways. So yeah. it's not just monkey dating, it's, it's it's plant exploration, it's it's new ingredient exploration, and potentially as well, it's offset. Yeah, it's so, an
0: amazing yeah. impact that that could have when you when it's scaled up with such a holistic sort of
1: project. Yeah, I think it is, and, it, and that's what you know from, from a customer perspective. I think that um, they get that. A bunch of customers like the idea that we're trying this mm. new stuff, mm. uh, but like everything, and like many of the targets under our new commitment we're not sure how it will work we're not sure if it will work Mm. but one of the things we're committed to is sharing our performance Mm. making ourselves accountable Um, I can't guarantee monkey dating to you (laughs) and I'm not going even though in King's Cross I'm not going to I'm not going to do that but I think the chances are high
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay so um you actually, you mentioned engaging the customers on uh, just earlier, and uh, on that, I mean, uh, on Wednesday of this week, we've got our Sustainability Communications Conference here in London. Um, the body shop's a great example of a brand that's really effectively engaging people with its commitments to CSR. Um, I wanted to get your views on sustainability communications. First of all, internally, um, what are the secrets of success for you when it, when it comes to making sure that all staff are on board with that? Sort of sustainability message. How do you make sure that the people out on the shop floors know what monkey
1: dating is? <laughs> I, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge as, yeah. do, as you can imagine. I think that I think at the body shop we're in a, a unique position because the, the DNA of the company is, is is built on the philosophy of business being a force for good. Right. So we've already got people on our side, um, and we've already got people. Waiting, if you like, for action mm. uh, from from my team. So the kind of the door the door is open. Mm. I think that the critical thing to really make the most of that uh, desire and passion of our people is to one make them feel part of it, yep. to make them feel that what they're doing every day can make a difference. So like, our store staff know that every time anyone buys something in the body shop over the next few months. You, you, you know, you're, you're enhancing the monkey dating potential, or you're planting a which whatever way they, they want to look at it. So I think feeling that they can contribute, and I think the second thing is we have very deliberately told our staff that our aim of true sustainability, our, our, our vision to become the world's most ethical and truly sustainable company, is a natural step for the company a natural step for the body shop. Anita forty years ago broke new ground in as a you know, as a businesswoman in unimaginable ways. And that's still something that is richly respected and loved within the company. And the new commitment and our, our ultimate aim of true sustainability is really building on that heritage. And that has resonated really well. People feel an absolute determination and in some ways a responsibility Mm. to jump on it. So our our heritage is a little bit different but I I think those two factors about feeling part of it and giving people uh, a real passion and a determination to create great new ground and respect to our traditions Mm. is is key. Yeah,
0: And and almost looking at that the other way round does... Sustainability um, benefit the company from a, a recruitment or staff retention perspective. Is it something that you hear st- staff actively looking for? In
1: yeah, we do. And I, I, I mean, to be honest, I think we we haven't used it in a way that maybe we will be using it in the future. So I think under the under the commitment, uh, under our, 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 our true aim, what what we're seeing in the company is a, is I suppose a regeneration of a belief and a passion in this concept of business for good. So we're working at the moment on a new people strategy, yeah. and the people strategy uh, is being revived with this true sustainability uh, stream running right through it. So I think, we, ha- to answer your question, we haven't done it well enough in the past. We know our staff love it and want to do it more. And I think moving forward, we will. And in that, and my hope is it will start bringing in more and more people mm-hmm. who care about this and mm-hmm. care about the richer purpose of the body shop. Yeah.
0: And yeah. then, um, finally then, looking at this externally, uh, we touched on this earlier, but um, if you do market this in the right way and sell it in the right way in terms of the sustainability credentials and how much better those kind of products are for, uh, for the environment, do you think, are we reaching an area now where um, sustainability can equal profitability?
1: I, well, I guess the history of the body shop suggests that you know, forty years ago we were in an era where corporate responsibility could equal profitability. You know, I think I think um, you could say that a little while ago. I think I think personally, the era that we're entering now, or on the cusp of entering, is the era where companies, all companies, have to move from being a little less bad to being good. You know, I think. Uh, Small reductions in uh, badness and, 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 and small steps towards real progress and scientific sustainability have to be put to bed. They have to be put uh, in, in the past because the planet and society needs more from us. Yeah. And my ambition and my hope for the body shop is that through our new approach, uh, working with Future Fit, working with super smart people have different perspectives from, from, from me who have different knowledge from my team working with those guys we can really drive towards a much more uh deliberate and scientifically sustainable mm. situation yeah i think that's i think that's the shift we're gonna we're gonna see
0: fascinating stuff well chris um you haven't made it easy on yourself uh, good luck with this <laughs> csr strategy good luck with monkey dating monkey um it would be yeah. good to catch up again soon and and find out
1: on the progress i yeah see how many monkeys have yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Up. Up. <laughs> Cheers, Chris. Thank you. So there you have it. A really thought provoking chat with Chris Davis. It's great to see the body shop using its position in the retail market to really begin to to drive change and, and really looking to go beyond its own operations to do a bit to tackle that crucial issue of, of deforestation. So we move on from the body shop talking about monkey dating onto an event that the body shop were actually speaking at. Wednesday's Sustainability Communications Conference, which took place at the Inmasat Conference Centre in London. Uh, that was all about how to deliver more effective internal and external communication strategies around sustainability. The Body Shop's International Director of Commitment and Corporate Communications, it's a long title, Kate Levine, was there. Uh, but for the sake of having some balance on, on this podcast, Matt, you spoke with some of the other speakers on the day, as you highlighted. Um, where do you want to start?
3: Um, I will start, I call good story start, uh, in the morning. <laughs> so um, the first person, the first speaker I managed to actually get hold of to have a quick chat with was Eileen Donnelly. Mm-hmm. Um, she just done her, her talk on kind of um, the role of, you know, selling sustainability, what roles does labels have. Um, one of one of the first kind of articles that really sticks to me when I started this job was mm-hmm. was her one on how, you know companies shouldn't be selling sustainability as a, as a product. It should be part of the, the core value. Mm. And she really kind of developed on that. And she, she gave everyone all that of so their kind of insight into the mind, mind of the consumer and how they don't go into these stores to pick up brands, think about sustainability. They, they've got a plethora of, of, you know, uh, subconscious mm. ideas going on in their mind. It's mm. all been shaped by media. And she basically just, just called on, on, um, on companies to really drive the brand value rather than um, rather than the product, and um, as you'll hear in a minute, the the stuff she said is really insightful. She's really passionate about this.
0: Interesting. Um, and now, as as introductions to interviews go, this one's a real corker. Um, just to confirm that it's the ED Sustainability Communications Conference. Uh, let's hear how you attempt to segue into this first interview of that event with Eileen.
3: So I am in London today at the ED. Yeah, no, got it wrong already. <laughs> I'm in London today at the ED Sustainable Communications Conference, which I got it in one. That did not take two takes to do. Um, I'm joined here today by Eileen Donnelly, um, who has just done a really insightful kind of presentation along with some other sustainability experts on kind of consumer attitudes towards sustainability. So um, Eileen, really nice you to join me today. How did you find the whole presentation as a whole?
2: I think for me, it's it's personally a very interesting subject. Um, I'm interested and passionate about communications, but equally so passionate about sustainability. And I think it's a, it's a constant conversation that is evolving about how we engage the different stakeholder groups. There is often a default to talk about the consumer, um, which I guess is is a, is a natural default we fall into. Um, my my opinion is is that. When we're talking to the consumer, generally speaking, we are talking to either a consumer who is ill-informed, um, who doesn't care, doesn't have the time, and therefore it potentially does fall on deaf ears. Or one of the panellists was saying that they, they do listen, they understand, they remember what he said, but then they don't necessarily take any action. So I'm a great believer in choice editing, take away the choice of the unsustainable products, I also believe that if we just go on a product by product basis, we're going too slow. As Esther from Forum for the Future said, we, we have a real sense of urgency now following the agreement that Paris accord um, at the end of last year. We have got five years to stay within the 1.5 temperature rise, we've got 20 years to stay within the two degree rise. Uh, we really don't want to do two degrees, we want just the 1.5 and we can manage that. So five years is not long. It can take a year to put a product campaign together. So I, I'm advocating that actually let's not wait for the consumer to decide, great, let's talk to them, let's engage them in purpose-driven conversations, but let's also look at what we can do company by company, industry by industry. And that probably, therefore, isn't just legislation, because again, that takes too long. It's about the industry-wide voluntary standards. Um, so that's that's kind of what i was advocating, but I was also talking very much about ensuring that a company isn't just offering... Small solutions to massive problems. So, this idea that, that, that Solly came up with at Futera about we often maximize the problem but then minimize the solution change your light bulb, um, put a jumper on, and turn your thermostat down a degree. It all helps, but it doesn't help enough and it doesn't help quick, quick enough. Um, so, absolutely, it, it, it's all about an entire company having a purpose at the core of its business, being more long-term in its vision and having what what, um, what, what is described as the corporate soul, a brand purpose of corporate soul.
3: And um, of course, I think the last time um, you and, well not me, you and uh, Edie crossed paths was at the uh, Sustainable Leaders Forum, you were doing a speech alongside Heineken and Axon Nobel. Um, and that was when I you were still working with PZ Cousins at the time, is that That's correct? right. Yeah. yeah, and obviously you just started your new job at the Co-optive Bank right now. How are you, your weekend, how are you, how are you finding that? Settling in nicely?
2: Yes, I am. Thank you. Yeah, it's a great place. I think one of the things that attracted me to the Co-op Bank is that they do have a purpose, they do have a corporate soul. Um, they have had some troubles in the past, but you can absolutely still sense that there is a corporate soul. Um, they have. Relaunched their ethical policy, which has been consumer-driven, which is fantastic, and you really do get a sense that there is a purpose at the heart of the business, and that's one of the main reasons I was attracted to the cooperative bank.
3: And of course, you you spent your time at the um, at the SLS saying, and the the context was on labelling and how. How consumers necessarily don't don't care too much about labour in they're, they're too absorbed with with costs and other and other things. You know they don't have time to flick through sustainability labels and figure out what it means. Mm. You also you also mentioned today um, that they're they're very much maybe even subconsciously aware of of other issues that will that will reflect on how they purchase sustainability. Um, we we recently interviewed uh, Global Action Plan, who have just launched this new thing to drive sustainable championship in yeah. business. And Chris Large, one of the things he said was, you know, um, the public they they don't really care about polar bears. They don't care about turtles with beer beard kegs around their heads or whatnot. They 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 do care, but they're not going to let that affect their actions. And you mentioned today a really interesting thing about climate porn about how. Companies, organizations really drive home that this looks polar bears are dying and whatnot, but that actually consumers have been kind of nullified into believing that this can be, you know, changed, like you said, by switching off a light bulb. So what, what really needs to happen in order to perhaps force this change if that message isn't getting across?
2: I'm going to go back to, to one of my original points, points, which was choice edit. Don't give people the option of buying an unsustainable product. So, for example, B&Q some while back now stopped selling outdoor heaters, um, which which is obviously the ultimate unsustainable product. Um, it, it, if it's too cold to be outside, go inside. Don't heat the outdoors. Um but 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 I think it's also about um, as as well as choice editing, it's it's we can't wait for the consumer to make these choices. Um, it's about doing it for them. And it's about incentivizing them to change their behavior. And and I would say that this comes back to absolute basic foundations of marketing and behavior change psychology. So it's about incentivizing them to change their behavior, not just give them the information about the polar bears dying, but also polar bears are not in their world. Um, so this marketing principle about if you want a customer to buy something, if you want them to change their behavior, you talk to them about the individual impact. So you start with their world, right in their world. Then you expand that slightly from that into um, the, the, the wider community, the, the world in general, and then you go on the, the absolute macro. The further out you are from their sort of microcosm of their world, the least likely they are to engage and then certainly from that engagement to then change behaviour and change purchasing patterns. So I think if we did want to focus on the consumer, it's about bringing it right down to who they are. And I guess if I were to talk about some of the the campaigns I've worked on and some of the companies I've worked on, uh, worked for, they do bring it right down to the minutiae of what does it actually mean for me. Um, And only by doing that are you actually going to create any kind of change. The polar bears will not do it.
4: There
3: you go. We've heard it it from the experts. Polar bears won't do it, but individuals can. Um, Eileen, again, thank you very much for your time, and I do hope that you enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you.
0: There you go. So it sounds like it was another great presentation then from Eileen Donnelly. Uh, she spoke at a few of our events in the past, so she's, as you said, Matt, really, really engaging. Um, next up, then, who did you speak to?
3: Yeah, so next up was Caroline Hill from Land Securities. She was on the same um, panel as Eileen, um, and towards the end, towards the Q&A, it all got a bit kind of, um, it all kind of got a bit, you know, there's a bit of camaraderie going on about the whole using of the S word when, when uh, collaborating and, mm. and trying to sell your ideas, and a lot of them were kind of against promoting sustainability um, and I think Caroline, who agreed, you know, that sometimes the S word shouldn't mm. be used, mm. kind of gave this good counterbalance by how there are companies and there are organisations looking for it. And Land Securities have been doing a lot of work with um, Oxford's City mm. Council, who um, sound really, really ambitious in their plans as well. You know, they want to be they want to be one of the most greenest, you know, the greenest city in Europe is what sort of, they're striving for. Wow. They've got a few to beat. Bristol to start with. Copenhagen <laughs> okay. on the horizon as well. Yeah. But... Um, their work there and how that whole collaborative process came about was again a real opener into how not just B to B but B to you know non B I suppose <laughs> yeah. can really can really uh, shift the dynamic and conversation. Okay,
0: so here's Matt speaking uh, the S word with Caroline Hill from Land Securities.
3: So, I am still at the Sustainability Communications Conference. Um, previously, just spoken to Eileen Donnelly, who's just started her new job at Cotrib Bank. I'm now joined by Caroline Hill from Land Securities, who is in the same session as Eileen, talking about. Kind of driving consumer and um, awareness, and you know, driving the sustainability agenda through communications. Now, you are in the unique position of kind of being yeah. the one person that was trying to sell this to perhaps businesses rather than rather than the effort which was on consumers in the topic. So, in your opinion, how does this kind of differ? Um, promoting and communicating sustainability to consumers who perhaps might be just in, in a stalling to buy something to when you're trying to land contracts with councils?
5: So I think when you communicate with any stakeholder on sustainability you have to think really carefully about what their particular interests and challenges are and I think the um, B2B market is quite different to dealing direct with end consumers. So for us um, some of our key stakeholders would be uh, local authorities for developments where we're looking to get planning and also for our corporate customers or our retail customers who will be taking space in our um, office buildings or shopping centres. So to give a couple of examples we are doing a development uh, the Westgate Westgate Shopping uh, Centre in Oxford and um, had a lot of dealings with Oxford City Council. Oxford are absolutely passionate about the environmental agenda so in that instance it was really important for us to be very clear about what our sustainability objectives were and how we were going to deliver it um, for For Oxford and support the council in their wider sustainability objectives so what we did was we developed um, with our JV partners the Crown Estate a 45 point uh, sustainability implementation plan which covered a whole range of things but made it really clear to that critical stakeholder that we took sustainability seriously and, and what we were going to do about it.
3: And um, in terms of, of that, it's really interesting work that land securities are doing. Generally, you mentioned in your um, in your presentation. I'm, I'm wary to kind of speed this up because we are kind of right outside the main hall, and if they start <laughs> speaking, it's probably not going to sound that good on a podcast. But um, <laughs> but regardless, um, you know, RE100 initiative. You mentioned yep. majority of operations, 100% powered by renewables now.
5: Yeah, all of them. 100%. Uh, yep, oh, there
3: you go. Okay, much yep. better. That's an even better, um, better news angle. And also, um, we we're also expecting a unusually soon about some science-based. Yes. It's, uh, very exciting things, um, but in your opinion, um, there was there was talks about how the. Kind of concept of sustainability might not necessarily resonate with investors that well. You mentioned kind of coupling it with, with the core purpose of the business. Could you just yeah. elaborate on that for me? Yeah,
5: I think when you talk to investors on sustainability, you don't want to often actually use the S word and actually talk about it. What you want to do is talk about the topics that are behind it and are of interest to investors. So when we talk about sustainability with investors, we're talking about resource efficiency, uh, strong, you know, good energy management and... Um, um, dealing with skill shortages in the construction sector. And when you talk about those topics, then investors start to get really m- more interested than if you just say sustainability.
3: Okay, that's brilliant. And uh, me and Caroline both want to get into this session to hear what they're going to say. So we'll end it there. Thank you very much for Great. your time.
5: Thank you.
0: So from Caroline Hill, I assume you then had a lunch break. I did. Um,
5: nice
3: lunch. I, oh, it was <laughs> lovely, actually, yeah. I've, I've been introduced to the concept of lemon cabbage, which has just revolutionised my world. So well, That's what you get at an media event. Um, so who did you speak to next? I spoke to Esther Morn-McLaughlin, who is from Forum for the Future and was chairing uh, the entire session. Um, yeah, we met just after lunch, although I was... Um, unaware of, <laughs> I think <it's> like drunk. <laughs> oh no, it was not it was not drunk. No, not at that point. Um, I was unaware of the um, availability of dessert. And her associate Jacqueline, who was doing one of the workshops, was kind of sitting in, just tucking away into her lemon tart, which was a little bit distracting. Interesting. But, um, Esther gave us, you know, really good insight into form of the future. Um, you know, they were celebrating their twentieth birthday this year, mm. and the work they've done is. Is really kind of pushing the collaborative agenda and she spoke about what she wants to see in the future. So we've just finished lunch at the conference today Um, everyone seems to have enjoyed the food and specifically enjoyed the conference so far Um, I think we're at that stage where everyone with full bellies kind of hits that mid-afternoon lull. so it's up to the speakers to really kind of uh, drive the agenda and I am sitting here with um, Esther Morn Maun- McLaughlin. I think I got that right, didn't I? Yep. Good, good. <laughs> and um, she has been chairing the event today. So Esther, um, I'd just like to hear what, you, what have been your takeaway um, concepts from from the event so far?
6: I think I've been really impressed, first of all, with the range of fresh new case studies we're seeing. So it's um, refreshing in a positive way not to be hearing from Unilever and M&S. You know, it's great for the agenda as a whole that so many more organisations like Heineken and Tetley are, are involved in this stuff. So I've enjoyed hearing some new stories um, on that. I think I've also been really in- struck by um, how... Authentic. some of these campaigns can be if the corporate comms machine gets out of the way. So the Tetley uh, example, for example, um, Farmers First Hand it connected uh, their growers in Malawi with their tea consumers in the UK via Facebook. You know, very light touch corporate moderation of that. Obviously lots of risks from a corporate perspective, you know, trolls and kind of other potential PR disasters but five years later um, some really um, strong metrics but also some very powerful uh, relationships particularly increased loyalty um, in terms of the growers so I'm struck yeah I'm struck by what happens when the corporate communications police get out of the way and allow people to talk to each other directly in very human rather than corporately contrived terms.
3: Brilliant. And um, you, you mentioned Tetley, and you know their their presentation was very much around the kind of dealing with these trends that are emerging, and they've really taken advantage of social media. Um, working for, for for the future, you have obviously encountered many companies driving many different initiatives. Um, you had um, we had Alexa Reese Jones um, speaking at Ed Live for us last week, which was actually where this podcast launched. That's that's not a plug. I'm not going to I'm not going to um, I'm not going to spell out the uh, hyperlink for it, but it is available online. Um, and she she was gave a very passionate speech about you know sustainable cotton um form for the future kind of dipped its fingers in, in a lot of these sustainable parties, which is brilliant to see and you mentioned you know it's celebrating its 20th birthday um, just in terms of combining these initiatives with these kind of emerge of social media and these other mega trends growing populations etc Um, where do you see the um, sustainability agenda shifting and what kind of concepts are you looking out for and excited by in the future?
6: Okay, well, I think it's worth, first of all, sort of going back 20 years to when Form for the Future was first founded Jonathan Porritt, Paul Eakins, um, Sarah Parkin. We were the first NGO really to be prepared to engage directly with uh, businesses to help drive sustainability within their businesses. Um, At that stage, the NGO space um, was about about boycotting, it was about lobbying. Um, All of those parts of the NGO ecosystem have a really valuable role to play, but our role was very much to therefore help the businesses that were on the receiving end of all that pressure to really start to turn the dial in terms of you know cleaning up their acts I think then you know mid uh, mid noughties um, we really saw the emergence of some of those lone heroes the Unilevers the M&S's the Levi's all our long-standing pioneer partners um, all doing great work but of course Where we are now is that we realise that no single organisation, even a great big multinational, can, can take us to the kind of scale of change that's required by itself. So, a forum for the future now, we're very much focused on system level change. How can we work with those individual corporate pioneers and the rest of their systems and their competitors to really, you know, take change to scale? So, you mentioned Cotton, for example, we convene representatives of the global cotton industry, from, uh, from, from growers to manufacturers to traders to retailers, um, to really work out you know, how together we can transform a sector in a way that no one player could do, just in its little part of the system, if you like. We're doing the same sort of thing um, with tea. Uh, you mentioned Tetley. Um, you know, all the projections show that tea is one of the most vulnerable crops um, if climate change really bites, um, none of us want to lose our <laughs> our kappa and clearly uh, livelihoods are massively at stake, so bringing all the different parts of the system together, creating a shared vision of you know the risks ahead but also the opportunities, and then working backwards from that to start to put stuff in place today to mitigate or maximize the opportunities that might be coming. So we're all about system level change right now, all about catalyzing that. And I think as we look ahead, uh, we're going to be more and more focused on how you can create system level change. So all our work will be directed at that. We'll put more emphasis on skilling people up, skilling whole organisations, skilling individuals up to really be system change agents. How do you navigate complexity? How do you hold those different... Uh, perspectives together in one room without the whole thing falling apart what does it mean individually uh, to be resilient in the face of that kind of challenge that's something we'll be doing we'll continue to focus on solving complex sustainability challenges like future protein for example how are we going to feed nine billion people enough protein so that they're nourished but we don't trash the planet in the process you know got a great big industry collaboration working on that right now really exciting stuff so more, more system level change coming down the line. And I think um, we're going to make much more of our futures work as well. So you mentioned trends. We have our future centre right now. Uh, futurecenter.org, she says. Uh, I should have it tattooed on my arm. I'm looking at my colleague Jacqueline who's running a workshop shortly. Um, that's really the place where we're starting to aggregate both our content trends and our signals of change, what little things are, are happening in the margins of the mainstream systems right now, which could really help to take us to scale. And um, also increasingly convening conversations around those. So we spotted, for example, the opportunities of blockchain. Blockchains and obviously a technological development driven by a digital agenda. Um, lots and lots of potential applications for sustainability, healthcare, energy, all sorts of things. How can we, as forum, convene a cluster of interested startups, multinationals, other perspectives around those kind of niche innovations, so we can really help take them to scale? deliver real impact
3: well it's um it's very exciting to see you know so much work on the horizon for such a big organization like you um i'm wary that we've commandeered one of the uh, breakout workshop rooms um and that people might be entering any minute and plus um i've seen the lemon tarts and i do want to have one before (laughs) they all disappear so i'm gonna um, say thank you for your time and enjoy the rest of the afternoon
6: great thanks matt
0: great and so we then move on to your last interview here matt um, and so you ended the day just as you started it. When it comes to speaker introductions, um, to reiterate, it's the sustainability communications conference.
3: That's the one. And
0: you were speaking to Caroline from GSK. Um, so listen out for Matt's pronunciation of those two titles. That chair's becoming starting to become the Carl Pilkington chair in this podcast room.
3: Yeah, I had a, I had a touch <laughs> of the alphabets uh, going on. It, you know, it was it was five o'clock in the afternoon. It'd been a, been a long day, long and interesting day, but long non, nonetheless.
0: Well, listen out for Max' pronunciation of those two titles. Anyway, here's the
3: interview. And so we've just finished the last session at the um, Sustainable Communications Conference. Um, it's been a very interesting day, and I have just come out of a great session which touched on everything from driving the millennial changes to golden recycling bins. And I'm here alongside Caroline uh, Rutter from J- uh, JSK. You are the... Um, management of their supply chains i believe that's correct
7: supply chain sustainability manager yes okay that's right and
3: um again thank you uh, very much for agreeing to talk to us um you, you mentioned in the thing that you know don't try and get people to do um don't force something on them because they won't do otherwise so it's nice to see you agreeing to this it means you want to be on this podcast i hope um so i thought i'd open up um with one of the um, one of the key things you kind of pushed away in in your in your speech which was to do with um to do with supply chain management and you mentioned you know 500 suppliers across 45 countries for JSK that's a huge amount of management so how how do you um, really kind of drive sustainability in supply chains and what advice would you give to people to drive this change?
7: Yes so actually those 500 suppliers are other suppliers that have joined our online collaboration platform, the GSK Supplier Exchange. In addition to that, we've got another sort of 6,000-something suppliers. Um, but those have been sort of the, the key ones we've started to focus on. So in terms of um, working with or trying to drive actions across the supply chain... I mean, collaboration is key, and having that two-way conversation with suppliers, I think, has been key for us. So allowing suppliers to have conversations back with GSK, not just being a demanding customer, um, sort of asking them questions or sending them questionnaires, but actually supporting them in taking action and um, finding ways to collaborate, being transparent across the supply chain.
3: Okay, and um, in, in regards to supply chains in general, it's, it's such a complex thing to, to really get a hand on. Yeah. Data management does seem to really be kind of driving this shift. I know a lot of companies that I've spoken to um, are really using Data Manager to drive their kind of in-house operations. You're using supply chains. What, what benefits to, has it got for, for the, your suppliers that they've kind of come back and said, Do you know what, this has been a huge help to us?
7: Um, so in terms of, of collecting the data... I think what is important is to make sure you provide feedback and I must be honest and say that actually I think a lot of companies including ourselves are quite bad at doing that. So you keep on asking for the data but you never feed anything back. Um, We've now got a supplier scorecard, um, which sort of highlights how our suppliers are doing in comparison to other suppliers, um, if they've improved compared to last year or not, and providing, I guess, tips, um, small advices on on where they can find more resources um, online to to actually improve.
3: Okay, and um, we heard from a range of speakers today, and it was on collaboration and how vital that is. Um, In your opinion, is there any other way companies can approach the sustainability agenda and manage, not just their their in-house, but also their supply chains? Is collaboration that critical? Is there another way to do it?
7: In my view, it is that critical, because some of the other speakers mentioned that you can't force anyone to do something, and you need to be very clear on what is motivating your audience. And... um, I think with sort of a collaborative approach, you can get more of the benefits, so the two-way benefit, or I guess a benefit between GSK and the suppliers. Um, In terms of, I guess, advice for anyone who'd like to engage with their suppliers um, through a more collaborative um, approach, a key is absolutely to find the right people within that organisation. So we've um, started off with a commercial contact so whoever our procurement team is dealing with on a daily basis and then through those contacts we've worked our way um, across the business or across our supply chain trying to identify the actual people that can make things happen across their sites. Um, So for example the the EHS or sustainability managers at um, the supplier, uh, supplier sites.
3: Okay, and um, I don't know if you can—you can probably hear that—that's um—that's the uh, the hotel and the conference center rolling out all the used coffee cups, which I think signifies that we probably have to leave soon before all the lights turn off. So, Caroline, thank you very, very much for your time. Um, I realized I had to pull you away from quite a lot of uh, interesting queries you had to deal with, so I'll let you get back to them. But thank you very much for your time.
7: Thanks a lot, Matt. Thank, thank you. you.
0: Okay, so some great insight there then in, in terms of how to best communicate sustainability throughout an organisation and also outside of an organisation through to suppliers and and to customers. So a good day all around that.
3: It was yeah. There was, um, there was such a huge range of um, companies touching on such a huge range of su- subjects. You know, we had um, we had Heineken talking about rap uh, rap music. We had RBS talking about the power of cats and dogs on the internet. We had. Um, You know, we had people talking about the, uh, you know, should we be eating chocolate if it's not getting carbon offsetted? It was, uh, Mm. and all of it was kind of really highlighting the fact that sustainability is such a a wide-reaching aspect that you can talk about all these things and still be on topic.
0: Mm. Okay, so... um... We now have uh, five or ten minutes left uh, of this episode of Sustainable Business Covered and had a few ideas for uh, a couple of features which, depending on how well they go, could become regular additions to each podcast going forward. The first idea was essentially just as a way of uh, reminding ourselves of the big news from the past week. um, Perhaps just picking out one of the big stories and I thought that, George, you would be the man for this one considering you're writing so much news, so hopefully you can deliver it. I haven't really thought of a name for this segment, but perhaps something like the success story of the week or something like that. It's really great. Yeah, see if that sticks. Um, so, George, give us some inspiration. You've obviously written some unspirational stories uh, when it comes to green policy, uh, particularly that, you know, the fracking announcement earlier in the week. But hopefully you've picked out a success story from the past seven days, which will leave us all feeling a little bit more positive about the way some businesses are really embracing
4: the green economy. What you got? Right, Luke. So rather than a success story, it's more of a success theme, mm-hmm. talking about green transportation and specifically how air quality issue can be resolved through green transportation initiatives in London and uh, the UK in general. Okay. So uh, just to provide a bit of context, the uh, air quality issue has been a big problem for the UK mm. with uh, London breaching its annual limits for pollution mm. over one week and. Just, yeah, just one week. So um, at the start of this week, we had a story about uh, London black cabs. Um, they just received a $400 million uh, rollout yeah. for uh, uh, low emission taxis, mm-hmm. which is good because we always think of taxis as gas guzzling, <laughs> yeah. high carbon machines. So um, yeah, with the help of a Chinese automobile company, um, these low emission Taxis will be rolled out by 2017 interesting so okay. uh, yeah
0: certainly a big area of development at the moment particularly from our perspective i mean across the last couple of months you think tesla you think kind of as an innovator goes uh, tesla is is right up there in terms of what it's done and the sales it generated from model 3 without people actually even having seen that car um you've got nissan with that what was that, that vehicle to grid storage yeah kind of
3: that. nissan futures series which is a yeah. uh, a big, big initiative. You know, the companies they got involved as well. It's going to yeah. really take off.
0: And considering the UK, obviously, still it's an area where David Cameron himself, his himself, has said we need to progress on this. He, he, We're not doing enough in it. He said in that area. So definitely positive to see and especially when you've got that backdrop of uh, an air quality crisis that mm. Sadiq Khan has, has come in and is now furiously trying to rectify so we'll see how that, that develops but um, yeah quite positive there mm. um, it's, it's certainly an area that yeah with the amount of stories that are coming across our news desk in that area um, I think it's it's definitely it, it has that feeling at the moment from, from a journalist perspective it has a feeling that there's a lot happening in that space and that actually businesses are, are getting serious about it, perhaps ignited by the, <laughs> the VW scandal. Um, but yeah, perhaps ignited by that kind of diesel gate and things like that. They've kind of been cajoled into having to really focus on that area. And car makers off the back of that, those Tesla sales are really scrambling, aren't they, to, mm. to get um, their own electric vehicles out. So, um, okay, yeah, interesting. All right, well we'll, well, we'll try that one out next week as well and see how that goes down. So um, from that first idea, then on to a, a second potential segment, And this for me, uh, this one's got a simple name, the Innovation Zone. So um, obviously the Innovation Zone was uh, a big feature of ED Live, just gone. Um, That was our competition um, allowing sort of startup SMEs in the green innovation space to to get funding to scale up and commercialise and have the expertise um, on hand to be able to do so. Um, It's obviously a huge area for sustainability professionals, innovation, big buzzword, especially after those ambitious um green business frameworks that were set out in paris and through the likes of the SDG circular economy um the ed regulars among you will know that matt mace writes a a regular feature for ed on the best green innovations of the week goes out on a thursday friday thursday yeah Thursday. Um, always look forward to reading that one so um matt you've picked out one of the green innovations that you think stands out this week
3: um what have you got I do, I'd like to preface um, it by saying I would like to throw innovation insight into that if that name's not nailed down, right. but that's just that's just my uh, personal <laughs> preference. And um, in line with George's theme of green transport, I am bringing you a, a story from China, um, and they have introduced a new concept, um, the straddle concept, to really... Um, Revolutionize public transport in the country and how it works is um, the Straddle concept is this huge, huge bus shuttle. Um, it can carry 1,400 passengers, hmm. which is just a huge wow. amount of people. Yeah, wow. um, it's going to re- replace 40 traditional buses. It's electric powered. Um, it can displace over 2,500 tons of carbon per year for those 40 buses as well. Wow, yeah. So, if one vehicle can replace that, that's that's um, gonna going to really change the game. But the, the real innovative aspect of it is how it runs. It's got a top speed of 37 miles an hour. Okay. Not the quickest. But it's got this such a unique concept. It's kind of, if you think back to old Nokia phones and <laughs> all arcade games, it's like Snake meets Pac-Man. It can bend and just it, will, it attaches to grids and it goes around. But the actual cabin where the people sit is elevated up in the air. And underneath there is a tunnel. So it's, this cabin is built on top of the tunnel, which oh, is the wow. bus rides on. And if there's a car in front, it just eats the car. The car <laughs> comes out the other end. <laughs> I was end. going to ask, where's the pa- yeah. Pac-Man element? Yeah, patch? so it eats the car, comes out the other end. Or, yeah. you know, if it's congestion, say the bus is at, um, stopped at a bus stop, you want to get past, you just drive underneath the bus. Wow. It's really aimed at kind of um, streamlining transport, getting you to and from your journey quicker, less time on the road, less time idling in traffic.
0: Is, is this... A wacky drawing that someone's written down in China, or is this?
3: It's it's not no. There, there's a video, so everything's legit. There's a video involved. <laughs> it's a video. Yeah, okay. um, but no, it's it was unveiled at an international forum um, last week. I can't remember the name of the international forum, and I can't pronounce the doctor. Who unsurprisingly, <laughs> I can't pronounce the doctor who's unveiled it. Um, the researchers unveiled it, but it is a real time concept. They they reckon they can get this out in the open. And just just looking at how it could work, um, you know, in terms of optimized routes. I'm not sure how that's going to pan out. Mm. There's room for you know, kind of what you know, um, UBS and people like that are doing. But the, the early signs are this could be this could be a huge way, a new way of, of you know, revolutionising public transport. And as someone who is uh, used to public transport and UK and being pushed up against windows and trains, yeah. I for one would welcome it.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, uh, we'll hear more about that anyway. New Innovation Zone Roundup, which goes out on on Friday this week. Um, so, that just about wraps up this second episode of Sustainable Business Covered. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the ride. Um, thanks to you both, Matt and George, for your own words of wisdom. Well, he's always willing to uh, contribute there. <laughs> and, uh, next week on Sustainable Business Covered, um, I'm not here. I'm actually going to be away in Austria for a few days, not on holiday. Uh, it's actually a press trip uh, arranged by Heineken to go and see their carbon neutral brewery. Um, so, I will be drinking some beer out in Austria while the two of you are on the news desk here so that. Um, but don't panic because we'll still be bringing you the third episode of this podcast next Friday that podcast will be a, um, a sustainability skills special and we'll do these slightly shorter um, skills specials in weeks that some of us are away um, when we're kind of hard up against deadlines and things um, and it'll be a way of bringing uh, the listeners some expert advice on specific skills that will hopefully help you with your job Um, So next Friday, that expert will actually be that mystery interviewee uh, that i just returned from speaking with. Uh, It's Virginie Helias, who's the Global Sustainability Director of P&G. And Virginia will be providing you with some some great insights uh, into the skills and expertise she's acquired after 28 years of working with the company, which is longer than we've all been live. So, uh, yeah, it's just a bit inadequate. Um, So, uh, this podcast should be on uh, iTunes very soon. We're waiting for Apple to validate it. Sorry about that. But for now, you're still able to download them all directly from the ed.net website and listen to them all for free. So, until next time, it's goodbye from Matt. Bye. Goodbye from George. Bye. And goodbye from myself. Goodbye.